Welcome to the Evoke EQ podcast, where we have emotionally intelligent conversations for evolving leaders. I am your host, Whitney Warren, a multi-passionate entrepreneur, EQ trainer, certified Enneagram facilitator, big stage speaker, and curious question asker. If self-growth, compassionate leadership, and changing the world are your idea of a good time, then you've come to the right place. Let's dig in. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Evoke EQ podcast. I am here today with Annie Woods. Annie is a life coach, Enneagram practitioner, writer, and yoga instructor with 10 plus years of transformational coaching experience. Annie immigrated from her home island of the Dominican Republic to the United States in 2016, and since then has worked with dozens of clients in the U.S. and beyond to support their journey towards compassionate self-leadership. Annie supports people in transforming their relationship with their life through one-on-one coaching, workshops, and keynotes. I got to know Annie while she was planting deep roots in the Midwest just after her immigration. She and I met in Des Moines in a networking group called Fem City. And now she and I meet every morning to write and express our creative selves. She currently lives in the mountains of North Carolina with her seven-month-old daughter, Fioretta, and her life partner, Cade. When asked about her greatest accomplishment to date, Annie cites her ability to establish a coaching practice in a new country. And as a result of this accomplishment, she gets to support clients in creating their own space and making a difference in the world. When asked about her greatest personal accomplishment, she shares creating safety within myself as an immigrant and redefining what success looks like on my own terms. Annie and I always have a lot to talk about, and I can't wait to have this conversation. And I'm just going to start off by saying, hello, welcome, Annie, my fellow eight. Hi, friend. It's so long. <laughs> I mean, I haven't seen you in five hours. I know. Here we are today. And everyone listening, you are about to have an energy explosion because Annie and I were just talking in our in our call to get prepared for this about how our energy tends to feed each other. But at this stage in our interaction, I feel that. I feel us feeding each other. I feel us in this tight communication and we've created so many overlaps in our life. But That was not always the case. And I'd love to backtrack because now I think we consider ourselves incredibly close friends, people we trust very much. But we've shared with each other that you were actually someone I deeply resisted when I first met you. And I would love for you to share your experience and just for us to talk about that a little bit. Yeah. So definitely there was resistance, uh, resistance to how protective I I experienced you. I I shared Mm -hmm. with you that so when I when I moved to the US and I met you subsequently, maybe less than a year after, I was craving community and I was craving connection and growth. And that's how I ended up in the networking cohort that in which we met. And you were so protective of your energy, so um, so it's larger than life. Like you were so connected in our community. Your brand was so large that I was really, one, not up to be rejected. Mm. Huge abandonment wounds here that I was mm-hmm. not going to let you. Know. <laughs> like, I'm not going to go up to her. She could say no. <laughs> no, thank you. And and I wasn't used to people saying no, like I tend to be magnetic. It That's my experience of myself. So, um, so it was very clear that you were not going to come to me and I was not going to go to you. Like, mm-hmm. it's like, oh, well, she's not coming. Deuces. Uh, mm-hmm. 
but yes, there was there was a resistance there. And I think that there was kind of like childish and petty feeling of why is her brand so large? Why do people trust her so much? When it was obvious to me, like from a judgmental place of like, mm-hmm. she she doesn't take care of herself. Like I can see mm-hmm. from, from the way you showed up in the world versus how I showed up in the world, there was a judgment of like, she's not living a quote unquote healthy life. Now I know mm-hmm. that nobody owes me the, their health, um, <laughs> but then it mm-hmm. was it was one of one of the things that I latched on to to mm-hmm. keep myself from approaching relationship with you. Yeah. And I remember the first time you physically energetically came into my space. And you know, it's interesting because you say you're magnetic. And like people tell me, and I know that I am also a magnetic. We're both, we both have that capacity. And I think we actually were magnetic towards each other, but we were flipped. And I just felt the resistance right away. And I think I couldn't have articulated this at the time because while I knew about the Enneagram and while I I sort of understood my eightness, I hadn't, I hadn't done the work I'd done now. And and neither had you, I don't believe, done the Enneagram work. So Annie, Annie, you're also an Enneagram, a certified Enneagram facilitator. So we speak this language together all the time now, but I just saw you in the world and I saw your strong presence And I immediately made up a story. I don't even know what it was. I just decided I didn't like you. That was literally it. I just decided I didn't like you without meeting you. And I never really gave myself the opportunity to meet you. And I think it was like that smelling this, smelling myself like on somebody else. And I knew that you, no matter what our friendship or lack of friendship would be, you would not let me get away with my crap. I already knew that about you. And as you pointed out, you know, you probably entered my life about a year and a half into starting my business. And I was everywhere all of the time, spreading myself so thin that I had none of myself left. I had horrible self-care habits. I was, I was, I was at the bottom of my energetic barrel all the time. And so then I see you, who I think my subconscious knew she's going to know what's up. I can't let her anywhere near me because if she gets near me, I'm going to have to be honest about where I'm at. And I wonder if that happens. I know that happens to me. I know people share that, that they don't want to get closer to me because I might reflect something back. I wonder if that happens to you frequently. It does. And I think that it probably was the same with you to the extent like I shared brand wise and work wise mm-hmm. I felt like I was I was just lackluster and mm-hmm. messy in that regard mm-hmm. and I feel like if I would have gotten near you you would have been like but why aren't you doing this like what what is all the shit that you think I'm doing that you're not doing and what's stopping you from doing it that's exactly um, what I would have done too I would have been like, you want a business? Here's what you do. You know, and you're like, you want health? Here's what you do. Like we both had these places where we were living a hundred, hundred percent, maybe 110%. And then the places we weren't. Yeah. And they were, they were polar opposite. Mm -hmm. So I think that we were to summarize the resistance. I think it was that Mm. we were resisting accountability Mm. and, and the potential of up leveling and because it's scary. And and I think that to be fair, in hindsight, as we discussed this, it was the best thing we did mm-hmm. for our friendship. Because mm-hmm. I feel that where we were at that moment, had we tried to connect, have we pushed against that instinct, we would have probably imploded. 
um, it just in the sea of judgment and you don't understand and victimhood and all of that, mm-hmm. that, so we weren't ready for what we have right now. And, and then I'm very grateful that like, we took our time to like lean in and, and do some growth because like, like I've said a million times, like the, what you gift me, what we gift me mm-hmm. is this matching of energy, uh, that I know it's something that I know I give other people mm-hmm. and it's really rare for me to receive from other people is that speaking into possibility and like, Oh, we talk about something. It's like, it's, it's going to happen. Like that's the way there's it's no just simply possible. There's no question when I'm talking with you about something that if we're going to collaborate on it, we're going to get it done. Or if you say you're going to do something, it's simply going to happen. And same with me. I'm like, I mean, and I, I think you've got that trust in me too. When I say something that I'm going to do, I'm not going to, I'm not going to waste your energy on the thought or my energy on the thought. Like there's going to be action there, or there's going to be a renegotiation or an iteration of that. Like I will pursue it and you will pursue it to a point where we're like, okay, does this work? Doesn't this work? And then also the ability for both of us to just be like, doesn't work. Tried next. Let's go. The ability to just let it down and move on. Which was in a way like, we were mentioning at the beginning our what we do in the mornings now. Yeah, um, let's talk about that a little bit. Yeah, which was very, uh, it was a very surprising, uh, I will say just the onset of this relationship that we have right now, which was just this summer going on a walk mm-hmm. and the two of us discussing for a love of writing and what mm-hmm. we want to do and and just getting that ball rolling. And, and yeah, so every morning mm-hmm. you myself and another friend hang out and write for an hour. Hang out and write. And when I think about that, I had wanted to develop a writing practice. I think of myself as a writer and yet I don't put much of that out in the world and it pours out of me, but it pours out in the in-between times. And I wanted real space for real writing and commitments. And I find that it's easiest for me to commit to things like that when I create the time and space and I create some accountability. And who better, (laughs) who better for accountability than you, Annie, seriously. So that walk, what were you looking for when I said that out loud? Um, I want, I want writing space out loud. Yes. Well, for me, it wasn't really about the, I wanted the accountability of being my word to Mm -hmm. myself. Mm -hmm. I wanted to. So at the time my daughter was five months old. Mm -hmm. So I wanted something that was just mine. And, and I wanted to claim my identity as a writer, because like you, I've always been a writer. And it just, it wasn't something that I dare prioritize. Mm -hmm. So hearing you say it, and like being so candid about like the types of things we wanted to write, Mm -hmm. that was freeing for me, because it's like, oh, we can, we can, like, this is like, I guess that it gave me permission not to take my writing too seriously in a second. Mm. Like mm. It healed like 30 years, 32 years of me taking myself too seriously in the writing spectrum. Because mm-hmm. like you shared, oh, like I would love to write a, no- a romance novel. And I was like, me too. I want to write some like crazy smutty stuff. Like I want to write the serious stuff too. And I know that we both like come up with these poems and then we write essays and then we write memoir style stuff. But I'm like, but I also kind of just want to write the fun stuff. <laughs> and that's like. For me, you saying that, because I know that you and I share similar uh, self-talk and uh, the way we idealize, review ourselves, that was very freeing because it's like, well, who the fuck's going to read this? 
Like mm-hmm. if I write, like I am so worried about what people that I was so worried about what people that read my writing thought of me that I never wrote. Mm-hmm. So now having the, the having the space, which we call writer's block, you mm-hmm. name it, mm-hmm. um, to not only write, but let you and our friend Lonnie hear me read mm. and allowing for feedback and all of that is like oh like I'm actually serious about this now I'm writing but I'm serious not in a way of like I'm taking myself too serious I'm serious in letting me letting myself be a writer letting um, yourself have that time space and letting yourself be heard is is what I heard when you shared. And that is one of the most special parts of it at the, so for, for all of you who are not in this group, which is everybody, but Annie and, and Lonnie and I, you know, we get on at 6 30 AM central time, 7 30 for Annie. And we, the first five minutes, we just share what we're going to write. Like, and sometimes, you know, we're like, I have no idea. I'm going to open up a blank page and see what happens. And those are, those are just as exciting as the days that we have a plan. Because we're just, we're all there together sharing that energy. And it's like three people, but it seems to be this magical little energy bubble that we're in. And then the last 10 minutes, we all come together. And if somebody has something to share, we read it to each other. And that, I knew we would discuss ideas. I knew we would discuss themes, but the vulnerability of reading something that just came out of our fingers, of our brain, that has been magical. And I don't think I put that together till you just said that out loud. Like it's the reading almost more than the writing that has felt liberating because it's out there. It's an exercise in vulnerability. Not that either of you needs it. <laughs> Neither of us. Um, but it's also that accountability and effort. So one of the things, like I said, like one of the things that I was looking for was to have a space that was just mine mm-hmm. and the accountability of writing. So I'm the one that holds our Zoom space. Yeah. And very intentionally, because if not, I would probably be like, eh, mm-hmm. I'm a mom. I'm going to go to sleep. Um, mm-hmm. Like I'm going to stay in bed. But being the person that holds that space, it's really because I feel like I'm on call. Yeah. Yeah. Like I'm a doctor. Oh, and thank you so much. I don't think I've ever said thank you for being the Zoom holder. Uh, because I trust you to be the Zoom holder. I a thousand percent trust you to show up. You have never been late. If there's a day that you need to not be there, you prepare us well in advance for that. And I trust you a hundred percent to do that, which is not always the case. You know, I'm a big questioner if I'm not in control of something. And I think about that now and I'm like, oh, I did just like totally, I didn't even think about you holding the Zoom space. I almost always send the Zoom invite, except you sent it. And I think that that's something really interesting that gets to happen between the two of us is that the things that I always do and the things that you always do in relationship, now we're like, it's a bit of a dance. We're at the place in our relationship where it's a fun equity dance of like, oh, I don't have to do it. Not I don't get to do it. I don't have to do it because she's there to do it with me in support of me and vice versa felt that especially so we recently did a whole weekend of writing we did Mm -hmm. a writing retreat virtually each one of our in our cities and it was so awesome to be connected with you in the way that we were because it required no coordination Mm -hmm. like 
We just did it. We literally we just, just did it. We just started texting. Hey, are you on? Are you on? Great. And then when we would, there was a session here, we would talk about it and we would started doing our exercises together mm-hmm. and be each other's person. And there was no, no need to like, well, are you going to be here? Are you going to be there? And it was just very free flowing. I'm going to, I'm going to miss this one. I'm going to miss this one, or I'm just going to go to bed. <laughs> it's time. Yeah. And it was just that it is very freeing to to be in relationship with someone that that you can trust to match your energy like like you said there's no question for me that if you say you're going to do something i'm like oh yeah that's getting done and mm-hmm. we're not we don't really have to even talk about it until it's done um, and and that's and that's rich for me it's problematic yeah let's talk about that too yeah it sets it does set precedent that's not healthy for my other relationships that are not like this. Because mm-hmm. it's kind of like, well, if Whitney can, yeah, whom I only talk to online, what's your problem? It's so fascinating. You know, we've talked about this a little bit, but how we feed each other's growth. I mean, I think of you as a core challenger in my life. Like how you show up, not only are you sometimes zooming ahead, which now... I can see that and be inspired by you instead of in resistance. You know, we've crossed that fabulous bridge. So when you're doing something, I mean, you were like, I was like, hey, I want to create an hourly writing time every day. And you were like, heck yes. And then you were like, hey, I want to do a virtual retreat. And I was like, sure, let's do that. And there's some other things we've got planning in the pipeline, but it's, so we can build on that energy. But I think there's also a tendency because we are so similar. Evoke, to bring forward, recall, or uncover. Emotional quotient, otherwise known as EQ or emotional intelligence, is the ability to consistently understand and manage your emotions. This is the skill set behind effective communication, conflict resolution, compassion, resilience, and personal power. At Evoke EQ, we train evolving leaders on how to expand their impact by transforming internal resistance into abundant energy for your career, your teammates, and your organization. Join us on this expansive journey as we work to make the Midwest an emotionally intelligent place to work and live. What's your experience? You know, I think we actually keep ourselves in the positive, but I think it can create, well, if we can do this, why can't everybody else do this? I don't know. What's your thought? What's your perspective? I agree. I agree because it's that um, it, it sets on realistic expectations, which is a totally is that I think that I mean I am the queen of unrealistic expectations. Yes, I live. Like, I love them. It's a, it's a, it's kind of like the total opposite of what the enneagram is about because it's mm-hmm. like you understand that not everyone's the same, and then you have efficient relationships, and you're like, mm-hmm. well, why can't everyone be the same? That just all be my Annie. <laughs> yeah. So that's kind of like. The part that is dangerous that I feel is dangerous if, if we don't check ourselves, which I think it's the gift of being able to read in vulnerability mm. when we do, is mm-hmm. that if we are left to our logical brain and logical discourse, um, we can enter judgment real fast mm-hmm. and, and it can get like really, uh, really prideful and intolerant. Mm-hmm. Um, but then we have this moments in which we write about how exhausted we are. Yeah, and the truth of it all. 
yeah and how how heavy it feels and that's the grounding that's kind of like the balance that i think that we've created mm. because if we, we if we were only going on power walks and talking about our plans mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah yeah we would light each other on fire probably assist each other in lighting our lives on fire correct <laughs> we would just be holding the torch for each other yeah and then the, mm-hmm. there is a little bit of that of like uh no, not like the the lighting each other on fire, but mm-hmm. rather kind of like I feel we're way more creative and productive since you and I have had a daily connection. Mm-hmm. Like I look that at is. my planner and like, oh, everything in my, sh- like all my shit gets done. And that was something that I was needing, especially mm-hmm. motherhood. Um, but in a way that it's, but, but there's also room for compassion. Well, like, we built that. And I think you've really been the leader of the compassion piece, especially self-compassion. I feel like you're still, as much as I'm clawing at it, you are still ahead of me on that journey of self-compassion and watching you be a, and go through that. I'm like, wow, girl, like you are, you are living in integrity with that. And I think there's something I'm watching you show, Theo, compassion. And, and I know this in me, when I'm leading somebody, you know, in this place, you are a leader, parent, woman, mother. And I get to watch that and I'm being led and like, okay, here's what it looks like to be compassionate. I have, I have thoughts. I have, I have actions that are now compassionate towards myself and others. But for the longest time, the safest thing for me to believe about myself was that I was invincible. And when you met me, that's where I was living. I had to protect my invincibility and the falseness of that. Otherwise, I felt like my life would crumble like a house of cards because it was a house of cards because I was isolated. And I was isolated because I didn't have, I wasn't allowing energetic connections like yours into my life because true connection felt threatening at that point. We would be found out. Yeah. Like, oh God, they're really going to know. And, you know, you're not someone who's going to sit by idly and find out and not ask me to change and vice versa. Like, Neither one of us, you know, I always say I'm a tough, I'm kind of a tough friend to have. I, I mean, I am. I'm absolutely a tough friend to have. If you are not on a growth journey, if you're not up for what's next, you really don't want to be friends with me because I'm not good in the space of stagnation or like, you know, looking at the past all the time. Sorry, I interrupted you. No, no, no. I interrupted you. Sorry. Mm-hmm. It's like that. You're going to feel like shit. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I have, we've talked about this. Like I fear the part of myself that makes others feel less than and makes others feel not enough, even whether I'm saying anything or not saying anything. I think sometimes the level of activity that you and I engage in can just do that by default. You're nodding. What are you thinking there? hundred percent level of activity, mm-hmm. which is something that like I've based my motherhood conversation mm-hmm. uh, like towards compassion, because I know that whoever looks at me as a mom is like, oh, she has all of her shit together. Mm-hmm. I generally bring back the conversation of like also have a support system I my circumstances are very specific like mm-hmm. that conversation of compassion that, that for me is at the core so compassion etymologically mm-hmm. is is suffering with mm-hmm. having the ability to be in the pain with someone and being moved to action mm-hmm. so that's mm-hmm. more that's more like the being moved to fix that to mm-hmm. change that mm-hmm. so at element at, at, etymologically mm-hmm. is to suffer with mm-hmm. but in a, like in a psychodynamic 
perspective. It is mm -hmm. to be able to witness and be with someone in their pain and be moved to fix that. Mm -hmm. But there's a component that I love to add and being kind with your world, with your words while you do that. Oh yeah. Which I think that that's like where, where it might be hard for you in my experience is like, mm -hmm. you're, you're tough, you're tough, you're a tough human being. And mm -hmm. like, there is no discipline without self-compassion. Mm -hmm. There can't, there can't be. And I love like a, on Friday, you were like, I'm going to try to sleep more. And I was like, yes, queen. <laughs> love I, that. I did it. <laughs> Because I, because I know that that is, I know how hard it is. That's a surrender for me when yeah. I don't, when it, especially it's, it's okay for me if I have to skip a day of writing and I'm working, if I have to text you that I'm skipping a day of writing simply for me to sleep in or catch up. Like I have, like, it's five 30 in the morning and my alarm's going off and I was like, I need another hour and a half. And I'm having like a shame response in that moment of, like I said, I would do this, like this, you're a committed person, get up. Like, and I was like, Annie's going to understand she'll champion this. And why am I not championing this in myself in this moment? And what does commitment look like? I think mm -hmm. that it's always that, that external you and I as AIDS, mm -hmm. like we, our action is externalized. Mm -hmm. So it's really about, it, it always was for me for a long time about how I showed up for others and in mm -hmm. front of others, what others would think or, or experience from me. Um, and now it's really like, am I committed to myself? Am I committed to, to my growth? Like what is commitment really in this point, at this point? That I think is the thing that people miss about AIDS that we can be experienced as very domineering, getting what we want done. But I think the thing that gets missed is very often our actions are ha happening to support others, to protect others, to clear the path for others, to commitment to others. And it is an enormous amount of work for me to go in and say, okay, what is commitment to myself look like? And what does compassion in that? Not just what are my agenda items to make my, you know, I see running my business as taking care of others. It is, you know, at this point, it absolutely is about taking care of others and taking care of my team. And how do I commit to just me, just me, not me as a business owner, me as a human being that needs to rest, needs to recuperate, needs to create care. And I don't know how you feel about this, but that's the most challenging piece of my personal puzzle was how to be an eight for myself, how to claim my, like truly claim my power for myself and not just use it to move through the world and get through something. Yep. Oh God, I, I couldn't have said it better. Like being an eight for myself. And that's, mm. a, that's a work of the Enneagram. Like how can you reparent mm. yourself? Cause, cause all of this, all of this masks that we create, all of this personas that we own to protect ourselves are, are not necessarily like parenting us. They're not nurturing mm -hmm. us. They're mm -hmm. separating us. Yeah. Um, and yes, when it came to, so for me, it looks very specifically and you and I've talked about it financially mm -hmm. uh, that like how to be an aid for myself financially mm -hmm. is really important. Because in my eightness and my story of invincibility, mm -hmm. my money will show up. Let me just make it rain right now. Oh, haven't I <laughs> had that thought a time or two in my life? Yes. Okay, keep going. <laughs> yeah. But it's that it's that idea of like, well, I don't really need to take care of myself because I'm always taking care of myself of like, mm -hmm. but at what cost? Like what 
why do I, and, and this is like a lot of therapy of like, why do I have to get myself to a point of survival mm. and then hustle in order to feel financially secure? Um, that's just, and it's, it's work in progress because pretty things. Um, have you, where have you gotten with that conversation? Because I very much relate to, I mean, there's a certain level of stability I have to maintain now because I have a team, but I just went through a season where it was, you know, I, I really had to sacrifice myself in that moment because of some choices I made and some unforeseen things, but you know, I went through a time where I was an eight for everybody else for a really long time. And I was not protecting, I didn't feel like I could protect my own bottom line. Like protecting my business was what I was doing in that moment. But I have been somebody, you know, that has ridden the wave of finances in the past. And how do, what are you learning about protecting that space for yourself? Tell me so I can learn from you. For me, it's really about uh, setting up the it has been kind of like setting up the guardrails mm-hmm. of if I never see it, then I don't have to worry about it. Like I'm that person. So as yeah. a sober person, like I'm an abstainer. And I mm-hmm. think that people that are in the body type, well, not nines, but like ones mm-hmm. and, and eights tend to mm-hmm. be lean more towards abs- abstinence than moderation. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. for yeah. me, just as it is with alcohol, it's really about abstinence, not yeah. moderation. Like I, yeah. as of right now, maybe in 10 years, maybe in five years, uh, I I will be a person that can moderate her, like consciously do it. But for me, it's really about automation and never seeing the money in the first place right now. Yeah. Like yeah. knowing it's there, not looking at it. Yeah. I, I'm the same thing you just said about abstinence versus moderation. Like I don't, I don't enjoy moderation. It takes too much effort to moderate. Like I'm either going to do it or I'm not going to do it. And that doesn't always serve me, but you know, I think about you've really been on a journey with finances. I've been perpetually on that journey, but the biggest journey I've been on was been with my body. And when you first met me, I was saying yes to everything else everyone else. And my yes to myself was food and inactivity Um, and calling that recuperation and what I deserved and all of that. And as I realized that I was, you know, I woke up one day and was like, oh my goodness, I have created a weak body. I didn't get that as it was happening because I could still do more than most. I was, but I was in so much physical pain you know, I was crawling to the bathroom in the mornings because um, my feet hurt so bad. And that happened for at least two years, maybe three before. Right. And if you and I had been friends during that time and I had shared that with you, you would never have let that continue. Like you couldn't have, would have showed up at your house and, yeah. one morning and be like, you would have literally dragged me out of bed. And I think this is one of the reasons why, you know, I was like, not her. Uh, <laughs> and now I've realized that for me to be on this self-care journey, for me to really be with my body, it is here are my yeses and here are my no's. And people see that and they're like, how do you do that? And I'm like, I don't know how to do moderation. I don't, you know, and I trust myself and my yeses and my no's. But if I'm a maybe, that's when I break down trust with myself. Because as AIDS, we don't live in maybe, we live in like, I can or I don't want to. It's never I can't, it's I can or I don't want to. I 100% agree. That's that. And and I think that it's the power of like harnessing your type, mm-hmm. uh, like flipping some of the negative connotations of your type in your favor. Mm-hmm. I love that about me. I love mm-hmm. that about you. 
Mm-hmm. I that that is not a, like that doesn't even have to be a conversation of like if it's a yes it's a yes and if it's a no it's a no and mm-hmm. it's really about trust and I'm gonna I'm gonna go like TMI right now mm-hmm. on that mm-hmm. I was once in a relationship with someone that was a little bit wobbly mm-hmm. and their yeses and their no mm-hmm. and the the relationship dynamic that they wanted was one in which I was very much in my dominant side mm-hmm. and I literally told them like this not safe for me Mm. being that person with you Mm -hmm. and couldn't understand. I'm like, you do not own your yes and your no. Mm -hmm. You could potentially let me go too far. Yes. Yes. And blame me for your hurt. Yes. That is it, Annie. That is friendship relationship. At Ivory House, we believe that every human deserves to have an incredible image of themselves. Widely recognized and recommended as Des Moines' leading portrait studio, we specialize in capturing all the best angles of camera-shy professionals. Our skilled photographers guide you through the entire process with careful posing and detailed direction, sharing their confident energy and years of experience along the way. Clients routinely leave the studio saying, wow, that was so easy. No one has ever made me feel that comfortable and confident in front of the camera. And best yet, when can I do this again? If you are camera shy and looking to change that negative narrative, then Ivory House is the place for you. We cannot wait to show you how good you can look and feel all while being photographed. I have a I have a lot of people in my life that know me that are you know, high level acquaintances even, but the people who are in my circle, the people that I will call are the people that I know will tell me no. They are the people that I know when I'm calling it a bad time for them, they will let me know that they will not let me step on their boundaries. They won't let me tread into their space because it is so much for me to have to not only moderate, I don't really, I just understand my yeses and my nos. But if I have to do that for you or the person on the other side, the amount of energy that then I'm just a caretaker, then I am just the protector. I don't get to have equity here because if you're not protecting yourself and I never want someone to feel like, yeah, yeah. Say that again. Sorry. Then I have to protect us. Yeah. Yes. And so I found that, you know, there's a reason not only is our likeness bringing us together now, but I know I can trust you to be a no. In any you know any long term friendship I have, there has been some sort of breakdown in which we've had to decide: Are we going to continue to be friends? And that's when I become friends with that person. That's literally the moment for me. Like in some of these people that I've had these, I was like, we would have considered ourselves close before. And it's not until I know that they can stand their ground and that because. We talk about this all the time. I have worked really hard, but a fundamental thought that I had growing up was that I was a bad person. And and it was so ingrained that I didn't even realize it was there that all of the things, all the good that I was pouring out in the world and overpouring and overcompensating was to compensate for this thought that I thought I was bad. And if you asked anybody around me in my community, they would be like, what is what? that? Yes. Tell me what that's like for you and your your space. No, I mean, when you said that the first time, I was like, oh my God, yes. <laughs> Someone else feels this. Holy shit. Because mm-hmm. it's, um, yeah, it's it's very, and, and, and I relate that to being an eight female. 
Mm -hmm. Um, the fact that we are told on like, like our not enough is we're too much. Yep. So too many opinions. I got that one all the time. Yeah. Too loud, Mm -hmm. too manly or masculine or whatever, Mm -hmm. like your masculine energy. Mm -hmm. So because in my experience, especially my eightness, my origin story is being the person that takes care of my mom and all of that, Mm -hmm. um, having that power, Mm -hmm also felt like I could be the person to break you. Absolutely. And if I can break you, then I'm a bad person. Yes. Like, because it's it's going to come back. Because this is something that I wanted to mention when you originally talked about, like, the parts of me that make people mm-hmm. feel inferior, the parts of me that make people feel judged. Mm-hmm. It, that makes me so sad that you and I still hold that. Because mm. it's their parts. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it's their their story reacting to how we show up in the world and we still own how people feel even like we work actively on not doing it and thankfully we're far along but i when you said it i was like yes i feel that i feel that how i'm making people feel how i'm showing up that's and especially in the world of social media that everybody can come back and tell you like you may be feeling you can yes we are responsible for the way we show up in our relationships but if you're having a reaction to me in silo, mm-hmm. I can't do anything about it, girlfriend. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that just makes me so sad that there's still moments in which like, and it happens in my motherhood for me. Mm. Like, my daughter has zero conscious of what, like anything that's happening in her life. And then I'm yeah. out here, like I'm making her feel, I'm making, I'm like, no, she's having a biological reaction to yeah. not having the toy that she wants. Yeah. So, but yeah, you're a bad person. And then you're like, constantly overcompensating but it's just like a twofold of I'm gonna overcompensate put a lot of good out in the world but also I'm gonna sabotage myself and then confirm to myself that I'm a bad person yep all of that that. well you know when you talked about being feeling response you know feeling responsible any eight you're gonna talk to is gonna have some sort of they were they were an adult very early on in some sort of circumstance. And I know both of us share that. I was an adult. I, I, my mom would say I was born an adult. Maybe I was. You know, most eights will say that they were. And I've always felt, resp- I felt responsible for my mom. My mom is an eight too. She's very responsible, but I certainly felt responsible for her. And I've always felt responsible for every person that entered into my space, that it is my job to take care of them and that i think brings people in but has not always brought in that equity and but it's because i haven't allowed it of course i needed i've been learning how to allow true equity of like oh they're there to protect me they're there to take care of me but this thought that we have that we can break people i think also comes from the sense of huge responsibility we feel towards the people in our lives like if i am responsible i'm also at fault for whatever happens to you regardless of whether i'm doing it or circumstances are doing it i'm responsible 100% and yeah there's there are conversations to be had around what is a healthy level of responsibility when we i mean i have struggled a lot in the personal development world as I've been a part of it for more mm-hmm. than a decade of like extreme responsibility. But you and you and I and I have talked about it, had kind of like, okay, so what's personal responsibility? What's societal responsibility? What does 
Is it an excuse or reason? How can you express your reason and still be kind enough to you to move forward and do what you mm-hmm. get with your circumstances? Mm-hmm. Um, rather than going all like, everything is my fault. Everything is my responsibility. I need to like everything that happens, but rather there are things that are out of my control. What's mm-hmm. mine to take care of? Yeah. And realizing that people's reaction to my bigness as mm-hmm. an age mm-hmm. is not one of the things that's under my control. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Still hard though. It's so fucking hard. Like, cause I want friends. Like I, I yeah. do want quality friends and connection, but now I realize like five people is, it's an okay number as an adult. It's okay. Well, and magnetism is confusing. Like people come towards us, but what are they looking for? And, and figuring out, you know, we're both people who use our, uh, our magnetism to bring people into our lives as clients, as, as, as everything, like it, it's both works for us and against us because then we have so many people in real life. We're like, how do, how do we, how do we navigate these people? And when you add a heavy level of responsibility on top of that and have tons and tons of connections, that's where I've realized that I don't know how to do this. I'm still working on this, but I can't have as many people as close to me as I thought I could. Um, and that's not comfortable to admit or know or really even sit into because it challenges my sense of power, my sense of control, all of it. And I'm like, no, actually for me to feel settled and calm, like the amount of intense connections I need has to be a smaller group of people. Literally five people for me. And it's because of that, because I am intense. I will go on all in. Mm -hmm. I will, you know, like if you tell me, Annie, I need this from you. Mm-hmm. my level of responsibility towards you towards us yeah if if i'm telling myself that i can i will mm-hmm. yeah so so yeah it's it's really about that like okay what am i commit committed to and i'm committed to having healthy relationships and for me yeah. to have healthy relationships that means that i get to have fewer relationships mm-hmm. yeah yeah and for me it's it's definitely having fewer but also being willing to actively receive and knowing what that looks like in those relationships. What does reciprocity look like? Where have I not asked for it? Where have I not been honest about needing it? Because sometimes that can get away from me, especially long-term relationships where they've just been in my life for so long that maybe I was a different person when we started. I was a poorer when we started and now I'm I'm unwilling to be there anymore. And I find that get to update people that have been in my life for a long time on on the new news and and really creating equity. This is something I've been working on for several years now. And anytime I'm with somebody, I think, what am I receiving from this person? Yeah. And and in a world that tells you, you know, to go be a giver, mm-hmm. it's it's funny because again, it, it it's all about perspective and it's all about what are your limits and where are you coming from originally. Mm-hmm. For people like you, like me, poorers, mm-hmm. right? We realize that the only way that we can honestly give people and authentically give people and serve people is by learning to create that equity, create that matching for mm-hmm. others. And what, and I agree with you that I do get to update update some people and also inform mm-hmm. from the get-go, from the onset as I meet someone and as I try to relate with someone like I want that honest communication of like I can only 
hold space for a relationship once a month, or I can mm-hmm. only send a text every once in a while, or whatever that looks like. So yeah. I feel mm, this day and age, it's just so easy to have, to quote the fight club, like single surf friends. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I don't want that. I have a lot of richness in my life. And mm-hmm. even though th- that's inevitable to an extent, but it's not something that I want to be constantly creating. Yeah, I want that matching. I want that. I want that equity and that equality in a relationship mm-hmm. that allows me to feel safe. Because mm-hmm. as a me, that's what it comes down to for me. Coming back to safety, and I think that that you know we'll end it right around here. But I think that's probably one of the most surprising things when people are going to listen to that is that safety. I mean, I would have never even thought that safety was a priority for me, something I was missing, something I didn't have because it was so repressed. It was like, of course I feel safe. I feel safe in my extroversion. I feel safe in my, and I'm not even an extrovert. Like anybody who knows me in my life is like, I, you and I both look at each other and like, we can be in silence or like not in the same room together, right? For a long time. And feeling the sense that the person not only will not betray me, that's what a lot of the eight literature says, but will protect me by protecting themselves. Betrayal for me is when I find out that I have somehow been hurting this person without my own knowledge, without intention, and they've allowed it and then made me bad because of it. Even if it's been my absolute, like if if I can check my intentions and be like, no, I was 100% positively aligned with that, which is how I work to live my life. And then I get that response that that is so hurtful. And so that's safety to me when I know I don't have to worry about that with somebody. If I do step on their toes or do something, they're going to be like, hey, hey, you get it on my toes. Let's not do that again. And I'm like, oh, cool. Thanks. Thank you, Thank you for telling me. Yes, that is safety mm. because it's protecting me from my shame because there's so much shame around I'm a bad person. Mm-hmm. And I am too loud and all of that. So I 100% mm-hmm. and yeah, safety. And I was just gonna add a little bit to that, even though like, well, like that would have been for a long time, it was so far and not in my periphery to even think that safety was a need for me. And mm-hmm. then you think about what do we give other people? Absolutely. Like that's, oh. that's at the end of the day, that's like what we, what we kept pouring into people is safety. Yeah. Like I have grown ass men that tell me that they feel safe when I'm around. And I'm yeah. like, that's I am people a have always... nothing human being. Yeah. Yeah. You can't see Annie, but she's a very petite human. <laughs> I'm a thank you. But that's yeah. when I realized like, oh, I'm giving you what I crave, yes. what I always crave. Oh, that lands hard. I mean, just from, I think about my wedding photographer days and I showed up to shoot a wedding and I'd had a relationship with this couple, but it was the groom that walked up to me and said, I had been nervous all day and you got here and I knew it was all going to be fine. And that is, has always been the response of people around me. That's what my, you know, my team during COVID, they were like, oh, I knew you'd get it through. I knew you'd get us through it. I'm like, you did? I'm so glad. (laughs) And then my team during this, this last iteration of fun business stuff that we went through, they were like, I knew you'd figure it out. They're just giving you the room to do so. They just give it. And, you know, in this iteration, what was cool about this time around was I also got to experience what it was like to feel protected by my team. And that to me was the biggest gift I've ever given myself was being able to have a full on, you know, 
unsafe breakdown in front of people that I employ and being like, hey, and I know not everybody has that team. Not everybody has that kind of relationship with their team, but they knew I was going to get it. I built it so that I could have it. I built it so I could have it. Yes. And like a past version of you, probably the person that started creating team couldn't have had that. No, I would have had to protect that at all costs. And this time I chose to let people in at all cost. And the cost was literally just to my pride, which I didn't want anymore anyway. Yeah. I was like, cool. Yeah, pride and shame, two faces of the same coin. Mm-hmm. Yes, they are. away from people. So Annie, if we could leave, I'm guessing that there's going to be a lot of eights listening to this and, and vibing on the topic. But if you could give them a minute, a fellow eight, specifically a fellow female eight, that hears this and is like, I'm somewhere on this continuum. What piece of advice could you give them to, you know, nice little kick in the behind as you uh, so kindly and not so gently give me? (laughs) I'm thinking about like in my eight, in my eightness, what, what has served me. Mm -hmm. Um, Definitely a message on self-compassion. We are tough on others because we are tough on ourselves. And this idea that your pain is a gift. It just does your anger. All of your feelings are a gift that are telling you and pointing you towards something. So listen to it and be willing to be with yourself in that pain mm-hmm. and in that strife and grief. And know that being responsible for yourself sometimes, like Whitney said, means letting people in mm-hmm. because it's not about just being self reliant, but it's about relying on you to ask for what you need. Mm-hmm. So yeah, to summarize, just like be willing to be self-compassionate, be willing to be in that pain with yourself. So maybe mm-hmm. go to therapy if this is really mm-hmm. a foreign concept. Yeah. That's really helped me. Mm-hmm. And, me too. And be in, and know that providing for yourself is not always self-reliance, but mm-hmm. rather providing for yourself that it's safe enough environment that you can ask for what you need. Yeah. Creating that net, that net of compassion within you so you can create a net of compassion around you. Correct. And I think it comes right back to let's be an eight for ourselves I as love well. That. I love that so much. Mm-hmm. You need to write some of that. You need to write right. that. I'm going to that tomorrow morning. Yeah. Tomorrow morning. Let's be an eight for ourselves. Annie, thank you. Thank you for sharing this space. Thank you for being who you are in my life. And I'll see you tomorrow morning. See you. You've been listening to the Evoke EQ podcast where we have emotionally intelligent conversations for evolving leaders. It is our mission to make the Midwest an emotionally intelligent place to work and live. Whether you're in the Midwest or beyond, we hope you have found value in listening to our conversations. You can participate by leaving us comments or writing a review. We look forward to feedback as feedback is how we learn, grow, and change. Thanks for listening and tune in next time for more curious, connected conversations.